0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: The following is a public service announcement from the Museum of Food and Drink. Dave Arnold and Patrick Martins have gathered a team of New York's most innovative chefs and bartenders to create a nine-course fundraiser lunch at Del Posto, Sunday, March 27th. Their intent... To kickstart the greatest food museum in the world The menu for this unprecedented event Is derived from educational themes of the museum Chefs will draw inspiration from sources Outside their normal sphere How will a cutting edge chef handle the Paleolithic Or a dish only using pre-Columbian ingredients What will a modern Italian chef do with ancient Rome The chefs include David Chang of Momofuku Wiley Dufresne of WD50 Mark Ladner of Del Posto Nils Noren of the French Culinary Institute Cesare Casella of Salumaria Rossi Carlo Maracci of Roberta's, Brooks Headley of Del Posto, and Christina Tozzi of Momofuku Milk Bar. Bartenders include Audrey Sanders of Pegu Club, Thomas Waugh of Death & Company, Simon Ford of Pernod Ricard, Damon Bolti of Prime Meats, and Eben Clem of B R Guest Restaurants. Proceeds from the event will directly support the Museum of Food and Drink. Tickets are very limited and $250 per person. To purchase tickets, please visit mofad.eventbrite.com. That's M-O-F-A-D dot eventbrite.com. Once again, M-O-F-A-D dot E-V-E-N-T-B-R-I-T-E dot com. Sponsored by Pernod Ricard, Heritage Foods USA, Pat Lafrida Meats, Barterhouse Wines, Del Posto Restaurant.
2: Hello there, Greenhorns. This is Severin. I'm your host this week for yet another episode of our favorite show, Greenhorns Radio, Radio for Young Farmers by Young Farmers, and we are, as usual, busy with many things and excited about most of them, and I just wanted to make a little moment before I introduce our guest today to tell you about some of the upcoming exciting things. Particularly, it being March, um, it's important to remind all the radio listeners about the upcoming farms uh, rally in Albany on the 30th of March. That's the No Farms, No Food Rally organized by the American Farmland Trust. If you happen to be listening in the city of New York, there are free buses leaving New York City traveling up to Albany to bring you there in person to become a part of the conversation and presence why you're a stakeholder for New York State agriculture and why farmland preservation and service to the farming community is of really critical importance. Um, i really like to urge you to come to that if you are at all able. It is on a Wednesday. Uh, other things upcoming to know about in the southeast region, we'll be doing screenings in Charlottesville and in Washington, D.C., North Carolina, South Carolina, Bar Harbor, Maine, Portland, Maine, Concord, New Hampshire, Lee, New Hampshire, Poultney, Vermont, Shelburne, Vermont. Um, that's all in the month of April, plus other ones that I didn't mention. So if you're interested to watch the movie that we've made, um, get up on the Greenhorns website and check out the events page. Um, and If there's a screening near you, go check it out. If there isn't a screening near you, well, you're going to have to make it happen and organize a screening. Um, this is a participatory outreach campaign, and uh, we would love your um, guidance and assistance in setting up a screening in a town near you. So, having thus spieled my way into too much time, I would like to welcome Matthew Jones from Indianapolis, Indiana. How's it going?
3: Fine. How are you doing?
2: I'm doing good. I can see the ground already. There's no more snow in some parts. What's the yeah. store with your spring?
3: Uh, right now it's a little rainy, uh, but no snow and, you know, we're getting geared up to start planting things outside.
2: So, Matthew, you're, you're an urban, an urban farmer in a state that I've been reading about a lot of people in Indiana getting jazzed up on organic agriculture. Seems like, seems like there's some kind of wave of goodness happening out there. Will you tell me what's going on in your scene?
3: Yeah, um... Well, here in Indianapolis, you know, there's a lot of. Um, I would say over the last year or two, there's been a lot of interest in um, urban agriculture and just you know general food-growing efforts, whether they're you know increased backyard gardening efforts or community gardens or um, you know, sort of for-profit urban farming ventures. Um, and then there are a lot of uh, you know historically. Uh, commodity farms that, are, um, you know, getting into, um, you know, that are taking an interest in smaller-scale organic agriculture, which is really fun to see. Um, so uh, on, I guess on both fronts, sort of newer generations of people starting to explore what food and farming can look like.
2: And what's the market scene? What's the demand like in your in your city? Or actually, let's even start with what goes on in Indianapolis. What's your um? What's the history of industry in that in that city? And and what do people do there to earn them the money to buy the food? Uh,
3: let's see. I would say that um, I mean there are a couple. I guess more dominant industries that exist or have existed in Indianapolis. Um, There used to be a fairly large, uh, you know, manufacturing uh, workforce. There's also um, several universities, and um, uh, there's a big uh, uh, drug company, Eli Lilly, um, that's here. And so there's a pretty interesting mix of, um, uh, let's say, like, skilled crafts folks, um, as far as, you know, machinists or uh, fabricators, that sort of thing, uh, as well as um, uh, highly educated um, people who uh, a lot of folks have moved here, you know, for jobs related to education or policy or, um, you know, computer or... uh, Drug development, sort of thing. Um, so that's the uh, um, that's sort of the population base. And I would say that a lot of folks, um, you know, there's just been, in general, uh, there's been a, a really big increase uh, in folks' interest in buying fresh food, uh, local food. People getting really excited about the, the possibilities of you know, that sort of increased personal interactions with uh, farmers and um, uh, food makers, food uh, processors and all that stuff. Um, so at the moment, it's probably geared a little bit more towards uh, affluent customers. They're, it's still a, I would say it's a relatively uh, new uh, industry, I guess, local food Uh, here in Indianapolis, so it's uh, sort of driven by, um, you know, who can pay, um, who can afford to buy fresh food, Um, but there's a lot of programs going on, I would say, that are trying to explore how to make food and fresh produce more accessible um, to a previously underserved population.
2: Um, wow, that was a really great overview. I, I wish that everybody. I wish that we would all. That was very considered and well, well, well described. Um, let's talk about Let's talk about why you want to live there and how livable of a city it is, and the urban farming niche that you carved out for yourself um, in Indianapolis.
3: Okay. Uh, well, I'm from Indianapolis originally. And um, I'm, I guess, I moved back maybe five years ago, and uh, I have a son who, you know, so who is here in Indianapolis. So I'm pretty committed to Indianapolis through him for a while. Um, but I love. Uh, I mean, I spent time in other cities that are, you know, have I guess more established. Um, Sustainability efforts going on as as far as whether it's food production or urban planning or that sort of thing, um, and what I like about Indianapolis is that there's um, it's still at that sort of um, infancy stage where there's not a lot of um, there's a lot of interest in I mean in this case we'll talk I guess. With local food, there's a lot of interest in local food. There's not a lot of established institutional support for that. Um, but there's interest in creating that institutional support. And so you, for me, like, I've really been able to, um, you know, see these efforts be created from the ground up. So you get to see, you know, the, the level of impact is much greater uh, than what it might be in cities like Portland or Seattle or New York or um you know, cities that have successful food related businesses and organizations are in existence
2: uh, Oh yes, yeah. so in, it's, this yeah. is this is one of the great thrills of going into a new into a new food fit system ninja mode and pioneer mode is it is actually a privilege to establish and get going all the different parts of a local food system starting with the awesome coffee and the awesome bread, local meat, local eggs, everything that has to happen, farm to school, chef collaborations, artist collaborations, all the equations, all of the parts of the equation that lead up to a vibrant relocalized food economy. Well, Getting to do the designing of that instead of only getting to plug away at the bottom is actually a privilege, as you say.
3: Yeah. And yeah and it's, um, I think with that, ends up there's just a lot more excitement because it's a newer thing because you know, this, these aren't things that have been going on for 10 years. So this is still a new idea and has, um, you know, with, because it's so new, really has you know, tremendous potential for both um, folks that are you know, pushing these efforts as well as folks who are, you know, on the receiving end of these efforts, you know, possible customers or um, uh, potential collaborators or uh, just folks that, you know, get to implicitly enjoy all these things going on around them, there's still this excitement about it, which is wonderful to see Treat.
2: So you left, like many people, you left where you were from, and you went to school, and you had some adventures, and you um, learned some skills along the way, and, um, and then you came back. Maybe you could just briefly summarize um, where you went and what you learned, and, and then um, when you came back, what it was that you discovered you wanted to do there, and just mm-hmm. briefly, because we don't have very much time, but just skim it over.
3: Okay. So uh, I went to school in Connecticut for a year and um, was going to was planning on studying American studies there and ended up leaving there after a year working on a farm in Massachusetts for about six months and uh, did you say
2: that you dropped out of college? I did Oh wow, um, that's a big deal. <laughs> was it a good decision?
3: It was a great decision um i'm Currently, like in the process of re-enrolling in school, but I would not have um, taken back. I wouldn't have changed anything as far as leaving school at the time that I did. Um,
2: okay, okay, okay. Sorry, I didn't interrupt. Um, there's sorry. just a lot of there's a lot of dropping out that happens in the farming world, so I had to make note yeah. of that. Yeah. Um, so you there you, you dropped out to farm, and then you were farming in Massachusetts. That's where we were at in the
3: story. in farming in Massachusetts and then uh, moved out to Portland, Oregon for about a year and was working in a bakery out there. And uh, over this time sort of realized that uh, I very much enjoy working with food and being involved in that process and that sort of exchange that happens and left Portland, moved back to Massachusetts um, to work on a farm uh, the same farm, actually, but uh focusing on vegetable production and then, after that, uh, about eight months there, moved back to Indianapolis um, that was about yeah five years ago, and um, eventually got involved with a uh, local food efforts here um, through the county Extension service through um, purdue university and uh, Worked for about a year and a half doing community garden maintenance and support. And uh, after that time, I started Big City Farms, um, which is a a for-profit farm based in Indianapolis. And uh, so, yeah, I guess that's the brief overview.
2: So, a lot of of classic moves here I'm hearing is going (laughs) to school... Wanting to farm, moving to a cool city, doing a food industry-type business, mm-hmm. understanding lifelong commitment to something, and then going back where your home is and making it happen mm-hmm. there.
3: Yeah. Well, and I think that, for me, I mean, there are a lot of reasons why I'm here in Indianapolis, but in general I think that it's um, it's very exciting and inspiring for folks um, to be able to uh, you know do work that they're excited about in their hometown, now they um, because they you know have that uh, history with that place and the people there um, because they have you know presumably more intimate knowledge about you know the workings of that environment and uh, that city or town's needs. I think that uh, projects that uh, arise in that way. Uh, can be really are well attuned um to the needs of that population. Uh, to the needs of that. Population.
2: Right on. So, now you're there and you're running big city farms.
3: let
2: mm-hmm. Let's hear it. What's the what's the pitch? Why is it why is it necessary and what's the business what's the business um argument?
3: Okay. Uh let's see. So, it's based around uh, the land we use is all privately owned uh, vacant land that's in downtown Indianapolis. So these are um, the bulk of the land we use is uh, empty lots, residential lots that are owned. The people that own them, uh, you know have plans in the future to build upon them or sell them or whatever. Um, but for the time being, they're sitting vacant, and so you know my original intention was that you know here's all this property here's all this land that has tremendous potential that's not being realized and here's a really good way to you know do something that both uh, you know it's a, it makes me money so it you know answers that issue and then it also uh allows me to grow food for Indianapolis residents, so it answers you know that, um, you know, at that point or whatever. And it's just an interesting... Uh, it just creates uh, new businesses, new potential interactions with existing businesses and community members. And um, so, yeah, it's been really exciting. It's been... Uh, we've had... Uh, um, I would say it's been a pretty successful business. We grow as much as we can for as long as we can. On these lots, so our season's pretty long. Uh, and you get to chit
2: chat with people walking by. Now that's a cool part.
3: Exactly, exactly, and that's something that um, I mean. I've, I've lived in rural areas. I think they're wonderful and lovely, uh, but they're not for me. I, I very much um, I couldn't be someone who uh, you know starts a farm. Uh, in the middle of nowhere. Like, I very much enjoy social interactions, and for me, like, it's... I love growing food, but, like, growing vegetables, but I also um, even more so like that the potential for social interaction that food presents. So, um, I, in my opinion, I feel like I get more of that interaction within an urban environment.
2: And what do people say to you when they stop on their bike or on their walk across town? What do people really oh, yeah. enjoy about
3: oh, the they garden love spaces it. I think that, that you're creating? That, yeah, I think folks, that that's a whole range of um, feedback that I get. You know, a lot of folks are um, amused and a little amused by the existence of these, you know, just to see a Um, in the midst of houses or commercial buildings, you know, just uh, uh, some vacant lot that's filled with all different kinds of vegetables. Um, And then there are a lot of folks that, um, particularly older neighbors, that, you know, will love to stop by and love to just watch the gardens grow just because they, um, you know, fondly remember gardens of their youth, um, whether that was in the in a city or in the country. Um, And one neighbor in particular remembers the lot, one lot that we use uh, was a garden that his family had had uh, growing up. And so, you know, a lot of time had passed, but he remembers being a kid and, you know, having to fill up the garden beds before going out and playing. And, you know, he just, he loves the fact that it's, uh, that that lot has returned to, you know, one of its original uses.
2: It's really nice to have an old timer perspective around. It's one thing about one thing about starting out on a new project all by yourself is sometimes it seems like really big. But having that context of what used to be and how much has transpired, even in the short history of our country here, I find mm-hmm. like. I find that that is um, a good perspective, and that, you know, the people who settled the land, they had to take away all the trees, and they had to pull out the oxen. They had to pull out the stumps using oxen Mm -hmm. and dynamite, and, you know, they Mm -hmm. had to hand hew all the lumber for these barns that they built, and, you know, so Mm -hmm. the challenges that we face as young farmers are significant, but, um, you know, it could be worse. At least we have the Internet these days. Right. Uh, exactly. Do you use the Internet in your business?
3: Uh, barely. I mean, we, have a, we have a website um, which, uh, you know, we do fairly passive promotion about our business from. Um, mm-hmm. And we use it to um, just as a means of communication with customers. Um, I'm certainly not uh, averse or against the idea of... Um, uh, using use the Internet, but uh, I would say over the last few years, I've realized that, I mean, at this point, um, we have a fairly successful business going uh, and farm, and, uh, you know, we're able to sell all the produce we grow, so we don't end up doing a ton of marketing, whether that's through um, more traditional means or through the Internet. But yeah, it's a great and, resource. Um
2: sorry, the the last question I had was could you mind um summarizing some of the really key institutional um support programs that exist in Indiana and like awesome restaurants or culture makers that if people who are bothering me on the email about what's going on in Indiana and I'm interested to go back to my family's farm in Indiana and interested mm-hmm. to know what's going on in Indianapolis. Would you just give your little handful of um, recommendations of where to start that learning process?
3: Yeah. So there, um, as far as restaurants go, um, there are increasing number of them that are focusing on local foods. A few of them include uh, our Bistro, Recess, Goose the Market, H2O Sushi, um, and I'm sure there are others that I'm leaving out. and as far as uh, organizations, there's a, there, um, there's a fairly well-established uh, community greening program called Keep Indianapolis Beautiful, which does primarily like landscaping and tree planting, but they have a fair amount of overlap with, you know, food-growing efforts and gardening stuff. Um, and then there are a couple organizations that are getting into uh, so
2: a battery efforts.
3: Including, um, there are a couple of healthcare providers and hospital systems. Uh, IU Health and Wishard Hospital um, are getting are sort of realizing that um, you know access to fresh and healthy food is critical to our health as individuals and health as a community.
2: So that was a good little list to start with of resources in Indiana and. If you want to talk more shop, probably you can find Matthew at one of his farm locations in downtown Indianapolis. Um, Any final words from you from over there?
3: Uh, No, I just uh, there are a lot of. I'm I'm grateful for the the chance to talk about Indianapolis and the efforts that are going on. I think it's um, exciting to see not just in Indianapolis but in other you know sort of. Uh, smaller cities; these sorts of activities and efforts being undertaken, um, and the you know the potential that is contained with all, within all of them um, it's just exciting and inspiring to see.
2: So, as um, I have a new sticker that I it, um, it says, "Don't be a bartender; be a mayor." We don't all have to fight to be in the coolest, coolest, coolest cities. There's plenty of room for plenty of ambition. Um, if you just downscale the size of the of the pond you're in, um, sometimes oh. it can be even more fun. So yeah. um, thank you, Matt. Thank you to everybody over there. Thank you, Heritage Radio, and talk to you uh, next week.